<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore! Hello, friends. Welcome back. I had the most impassioned, authentic conversation. Marie Wilda is a champion for independent pharmacy. She's not herself a pharmacist, nor does she play one on television, but she is just so passionate about the absolute train wreck that has become of pharmacists in this country. So, yeah, while we joke about her uh, being a fly fisherman and working for a polo club, she's also a Navy veteran who served our country and has spent the last couple of years rallying for the voice of the independent pharmacists. You know, they are clearly the most accessible and frequently visited members of the healthcare team, independent pharmacists. Pharmacists in general are the most trusted people in healthcare. But what can Americans really do to support the local pharmacies and keep the over and balance off? Sure, you want your toilet paper, your shampoo, and all the other fancy stuff across the street. But is there a value? Yes, there is. What is that value? And how can that trickle back to the true bartenders and the arbiters and the psychologists of healthcare, the local pharmacist? Enjoy the show. Marie Wilda, welcome to Out of Patience. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad you reached out over LinkedIn. I was really taken by your profile, by your work. And it, you know, what what you do really hits home because you're, you know, we're all here to try to make healthcare suck less for human beings Mm -hmm. who don't ask to be there. But before we get started, I have to point out that you're probably the first person I've ever interviewed who has fly fishing on their LinkedIn profile. Yes, it's it's a great icebreaker. I started about probably four years ago and my mind just is constantly it's like a rat on a wheel. And I find that it's just a really incredible way to decompress and get away from the world when you're just focusing on catching the fish. And, and did that just like dawn on you? I am, I'm not a fly fisher yet. I want to just do that today. Or was that did that come from something else? Were you watching too much bass fishing on some TV channel? So my boyfriend taught me, he's been fly fishing for probably his entire life. I mean, like 20 years. And I was absolutely adamantly against it. I was like, who would enjoy that? I got out there and it's just great being in the middle of nowhere. I really enjoy being outside. And so you're moving constantly. So that's, uh, it kind of checks both of those boxes, outdoors, moving constantly, and then singularly focused. And one more thing as I was uh, spelunking into your past and stalking you, I'm a huge fan of people who have, I would say, retail customer service experience. And if you don't, you're kind of missing out on dealing with people. Uh, Help me understand Mm -hmm. what this means. You said International Polo Club Catering. Oh my gosh, that's that's a throwback. So I worked, I have an event thread throughout my career. 
And I worked for the International Polo Club in Wellington, Florida. They had a 16-week polo season. And so what we did was we sold the tickets, we set the covers, we had entertainment, there were fundraisers. That was my first formal foray into event planning and management. Super bougie, very, very fun, great crowd. And you know, you got to be outdoors again, a lot of movement. I didn't ride horses. They terrify me, but you know, just being around that type of event where there is sportsmanship and there's always a good cause because we had a fundraiser every Sunday. It was one of my, my favorite events actually. And we won an award. We were like an award-winning tourist driving attraction in West Palm Beach, Florida. Uh, a, a claim to fame I cannot make. So congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. you yes. Know, I, I think Polo and my old Gen X brain goes right back to Pretty Woman. Yes, that's it. That's exactly what it was. Yeah. Lots of Vuv, lots of Rolexes and just really great people and solving problems on the fly. That was the first time I had to digitize an experience. So everybody would make reservations and we had a clipboard and it was back when Ticket Leap um, was just oh kind God. of coming out. That's a and throwback. They were like, well, how can we improve this process? And so I brought Ticket Leap into the um, into the, the circle, into the process. And that was our first, um, that was my first kind of uh, attempt at solving a problem to optimize a process. And it worked. I was reading that you got your associate's degree in legal studies. Did you want to be a lawyer? I did want to be a lawyer. I wanted to be a judge for some reason. I wanted to bring down the hammer swift and mighty. It was very boring, not my bag. So I opted out of that uh, path. And I actually just went directly into, um, into marketing. So it was right. I, I was fortunate enough that I was early in my career when Facebook and Instagram and all of these platforms were, were coming to light. And so I served small businesses when Facebook first started by, you know, selling Facebook pages. I said, do you want a presence? And I found a niche working with a more traditional marketing agency where they had clients who wanted a digital option, but they didn't want to bring somebody full time. So I uh, provided white label services. And that was just the beginning of everything for me, the path towards uh, marketing and, and revenue. I mean, that's some niche hustling in the <laughs> pre-internet universe. Well done. Yes, it was very niche and it was it was a hustle. Absolutely. I mean, like you're from a background. I think I'm a little older than you, but like the life before the Internet is almost foreign to half the country. And I feel like like back in my day, we didn't have this. You know, that's, that's where my head goes. Uh, what did you did you were you on like the AOL for like what did you use? Were you on social at all? Whatever that it meant in like 2004, five, six. So I was on AIM early on, chat, that MSN AIM, I think it was, and then MySpace. Mm. Uh, <laughs> Doug. Wasn't everyone friends with Doug? No, his name is Tom. Tom, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, all right, we just lost half the audience. All right. I'm sorry. I apologize to Doug, whoever Doug is. It's Tom. Tom, Tom in front of the whiteboard. Yeah. So then MySpace and um, and then Facebook showed up. And I think that was pretty much uh, the beginning of the end for, for me. So I was uh, I think they call me an elder millennial. I think there's a comedian that that's the term. <laughs> so, yes. No, there actually is a term. You know how real estate brokers invent neighborhood names? 
Mm, there yes. are generationalists or anthropologists that make up those types. Apparently, you are a ready for the, you are a um, a uh, a zenial. Zenial. It's a I, yeah, it's so a millennial with an X at the beginning. Like so you're, you're like like ah uh, yes because yeah Generation X was right before us. Yeah, I'm I'm unabashedly Gen X. I'm 74, which is the median <laughs> bell curve, and I'm, I'm owning that, and I'm never letting it go. But it really is that appreciation for what life was like, let alone in healthcare and medicine. But just I, I was in marketing. I worked for an ad agency for 10 years before the internet. And man, was that a different world by comparison. And it's so irreplicable by today's standards. Mm, yeah, that absolutely. Yes. So when did anything happen that said, I'm going to do this now? Was it like I can – you niched yourself in a way that was almost like indispensable. Did that become the scaling of yourself? That did. So when I zeroed in – so at, e, at IPC, it was events and marketing – And then I broke off and I started um, providing the white label services for um, the kind of PR or print and ad agencies. Um, And that had an event component because I worked with restaurants that had live music. So there's always been an event thread um, throughout my career. I worked with a I worked on a national book tour for uh, Jack and Susie Welch. So they wrote a book called The Real Life MBA. And I managed that to um, creating content strategy and just administrative stuff. I call it my year of business boot camp because working for them and running in those circles was what do they say? Like water, putting your mouth on the fire hose. It was just so much information nonstop. And it was uh, one of the most amazing experiences of my life. And that was a first kind of level up in terms of an event because we went to places. I mean, we did interviews with Gary Vaynerchuk. We went to MIT. I mean, you name it, LinkedIn, Google talks. It was the top uh, level of exposure for business for me. And that's kind of cemented my experience creating events to activate brands and content revenue strategy. Right. And this was all when everything was kind of innocent and everyone's LinkedIn profile said new media guru. Yes. <laughs> and now, now you can be whatever you want. I mean, there's so many names and, and kind of um, silos. Silos is the wrong word, but just ways to define yourself and, and your niche. It's It's been amazing to watch LinkedIn develop over the years. I think it's one of the most valuable platforms out there. Well, it's an over-under, too, with the perspective of knowing what it was like beforehand. You know, the democratization mm-hmm. of opinions is the worst thing to happen to humanity ever. But at the same time, it's really created like niche tribalist markets that help each other in, in ways that you couldn't have done before. Yes, absolutely. I love it. And independent pharmacy is one of those. That's a great way to put it. You know, the tribalist market. I mean, we serve each other. We share information. Um, Where I come from, we always said independent pharmacies, we're not competition to each other. That when we lift each other up, that's when we all succeed um, at a higher level. Yeah, I want to so, spend yeah. I want to spend a lot of time talking about the independent pharmacy conversation in the second half of the show because that alone could be seventy five shows. But help me unpack. I, I'm still perseverating on the fact that we were coexisting in the uh, if, uh, divergent here. So Ben and Jerry's, I got everyone's like, where is he going with this? We go to Ben and Jerry's in Vermont. They have a, a flavor graveyard. And you were mentioning all these platforms that should be in the social graveyard, like Google Talk. 
What else did you Google use that doesn't matter anymore? Oh my gosh, I can't even remember. It was, I, I, uh, it's MySpace. I mean, I remember when we shifted to Google, I was in, I was enlisted, I was in the Navy. And I remember somebody telling me about Google, a search engine, and I thought it was broken because there was nothing on the page. I was like, where are all the ads and the pop-ups? What is this thing? Um, and little, I mean, Ask Jeeves, that's another one that's, that's gone. yes. <laughs> Um, let me think what else. Wasn't there one with like a dog? Like, 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 uh, like go fetch or, or something with a dog. There is something with a dog. Like Rover is kind of pops into my head, but I, I can't recall. Yeah. Oh, how bad life was before Bing. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait. I, I can't skip over this. You were in the Navy. Let's not just let that slide by. Thank you for your service. What did you do there? My rate, my job was completely obsolete when I got there. It was the last graduating class to be a signalman, which is uh, we did the visual communications between the ships. So we did the flag hoist to send messages, semaphore, flashing light, Morse code, but everybody had cell phones and you could just send an email to the ship. So I spent a lot of time on watch in the middle of nowhere, Googling, playing solitaire. And I went to school. I was on um, Theodore Roosevelt. So I was stationed in Norfolk, Virginia for four and a half years. I spent a lot of time kind of doing self-improvement and self-development because they flew professors out for deployment. But my job was not mission critical as you would say, at all. You just kind of, I was in the Navy, like for four years. Yeah. All right. All right so yeah, I it guess. It was pretty amazing. What cell phone, what, what cell service does the Navy provide before the internet? So we had my, it was my first cell phone. It was this Sprint skinny, like it was a skinny silver sliver of a cell phone. And I wanted, yeah, it was Sprint. I mean, it, you, it, you had to, tell everybody to text you or call you after nine because that's when the minutes were free. Yes, long um, distance, <laughs> like per minute, hour, right? right. Yeah, oh so I was Remember like, those guys that walked around with like the little business cards said here, like free hours if you join MCI or something? Uh, I don't remember that. It was my, but that was before my time, okay. I'm happy to say. I'm way old. Go ahead. <laughs> um, no, so that was, um, yeah, that was my time in the Navy. Um, a lot of time on watch, looking at the ocean, trying to figure out your life and what you want to do. And um, it was great. It was amazing. It was ultimately not for me. I decided to to separate, but um, I wouldn't trade those four years for anything. I can only imagine. I, I've interviewed many, many friends and colleagues who've served our country and they all just like, there is no, there's no story that isn't amazing. Even if it's, and there's no, oh, I only did this. No, 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 you served. That's it. I swabbed the deck. No, I flew MIGs. Like, that's Russian. Whatever. Like, it's amazing to me as just a layperson civilian in awe of people who serve the country. So once again, on behalf of myself, our listeners, thank you so much for your service. Thank you. So we are going to take a quick break for real. What's the Navy theme? I always get the all the military. Can you sing the Navy theme? Oh, God. I think it's Anchors Away. I will not sing it, oh. but I do know the name. Is it bum, 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 yes. bum, 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 I can't sing either, but all right. You're welcome, listeners, for that little detente there. Uh, we will be right back after these fabulous messages.
CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, we're back for those seven people still listening to this episode. All right, this is a really strong passion point for me is the is the rural pharmacist, the independent pharmacist, the sort of takeover of I don't know. There's so many documentaries that are exposing these things, and we have to play fair in the sandbox here. But at the same time, I had an independent pharmacist growing up. That was the '80s. You know, Mm. we had like. There weren't any big box groups doing these things. I know it's irreplicable today in 2023, but how did that become the thing that attracted you most into your career? You know, I was looking for a job when I found that one. I fell into a role at a company called Pharmacy Development Services, and um, it came after a time my mom fell ill and I was her caretaker for about a year and a half. And it was really difficult. I didn't understand it. Navigating the healthcare industry was so challenging. Fast forward to 2017, when I got into pharmacy, I saw very quickly the potential for independent pharmacies to be a catalyst for change, for healthcare equity, for healthcare literacy, all of these things that the communities need and they're not going to get anywhere else just because of the the number of times the average American walks into their pharmacy versus seeing any other licensed or doctored healthcare provider. That level of access is huge. And I want to do everything I can to leverage that so that the community understands the impact that they can have. So would you agree there's an over-under? There is a benefit to having these, these massive institutional platforms in different communities because they're there everywhere because you can't really have independent pharmacies everywhere it's they're limited to local areas right the the Mm -hmm. scaling isn't there but there's a value exchange there are ways for the community or healthcare to better serve the community and it doesn't look the same right yes mail order does work in some instances if it's done well if the um if the patient can access a pharmacist to understand 
things like medication interference and, and, and uh, nutrient depletion challenges so that if they can get in touch with somebody that they can get the coaching and the consulting needed, great. That's perfect. But there are a lot of people that are being kind of uh, pushed into a specific direction or a type of engagement with a healthcare provider that need a little bit more and those options don't exist for them. So I agree there is an over under. And right now, I think that there should be more focus on the different options and educating the public on what pharmacy brings to the table as a part of the clinical care team. You know, I've heard the pharmacist refer to, I mean, a, first of all, it's, it's, it's in the literature, the most trusted profession in, in healthcare, period. Mm-hmm. Done this out there. Uh, can you speak to the potential differences in the, um, the latitude a, an independent pharmacist might have against one working for one of the larger groups? Does that personalization, does that bartender psychology effect, do, do we lose that? Is it better? Yeah, you definitely lose it. So I, I need to preface everything I'm about to say with I'm, I'm not a pharmacist. I don't have any clinical experience. My experience in healthcare is as, as, a, as a patient or, you know, having a loved one going through that process and my experience working with independent pharmacies at, at, in my last role. There is a, there are some constraints that pharmacists have to live through when they're working through or working with these big box stores. And they're driven by profit. They're driven by performance metrics that are led at the top of, you know, the totem pole. And independents have an opportunity to get that, to zero in on the community needs and and really serve up what they're seeing and kind of guide the community to a better place in terms of healthcare and and taking ownership over their wellness that I don't think, I don't think this is not a um, total sum kind of statement. For the most part, these big box stores don't have that opportunity. It's a retail and it's a, it feels like a real estate play. You know, they're at the corner of every main street and in town in the United States, and they still don't have the personalized services that you can get at an independent pharmacy. Do you feel that the value of independent services has been lost on American consumers for the sheer convenience of buying toilet paper and shampoo at the same time? Yeah, that's what kind of my, the the comment I made about it being a real estate play there, they're at every main street corner. It's just became easy. I, when I joined, when I joined, uh, PDS, I, I didn't know independent pharmacy was a thing. As soon as I started to interview and I realized that there were 10 or 15 around me when I was living in West Palm Beach, Florida, I didn't know they existed. I went to CVS. So the, the public has lost that knowledge. I think that COVID, ha- it created a, a sort of, I hate to say renaissance, but a sort of renaissance where independent pharmacies were on the the front lines putting shots in arms and testing and PPE during the pandemic. And I think people started to realize the value that they can bring to the table. And now a lot of people are just trying to build on that momentum. All right. Help me unpack this and, you know, uh, verify this statement for me. 
there's so much push right now. We see it on television, on subway ads everywhere that prescription medications can be cheaper somewhere else. You don't have to go to these places and there's a coupon for everything and no one knows about that. What I found is that the local pharmacists tend to have more wisdom about those things because they're the ones often dispensing things at, at a lower cost. But most people don't know that that's where they can go for more value when they can still buy toilet paper over here. Is yeah. that accurate? Yeah, I think so. So there were a few nuances. One, for a, a couple of years, there was a gag order on their ability to tell patients that there was a lower cost option or there was a cash option. I believe that gag order was lifted a year or two ago going into the pandemic. So they they now have the um, the ability to talk about it, but you're still struggling. There's still a struggle in getting the consumer to understand that that's an option, that independent pharmacies exist and that you can go there for the clinical, for the pricing discussion in order to, to serve your health and wellness needs. The other piece that I think is missing from the conversation is the fact that everybody is talking about affordable medication in a bubble. Yes, it is critical that medication is accessible and it's affordable and it's a problem. And when you talk about it without the context of comprehensive care, what you're effectively doing is you're contributing to the commoditization of pharmacy. It becomes a race to the bottom where the focus becomes the lowest price. And there's so much more to clinical care than just an affordable pricing. Well, you may not be a pharmacist, but you're definitely a champion for pharmacists. <laughs> and I really respect that, you know, to take up arms on this. I mean, it's it's almost it makes your eyes cross to really think what the what the larger problem is. It but, really does. But I mean, this show reaches a lot of people and I'd like to, hey, everyone on a drug, it's cheaper over there. What is the messaging to Americans if, in fact, it may or may not be impeded by the independent pharmacist letting you know? So I think the message to America is the mm, that's a good question. A stumper <laughs> right here on the show. Um, the, so from my perspective, um, the message to America, to the consumer, is that independent pharmacy is a healthcare destination. Many of them have the ability to, one, dispense the medication that you need, and two, provide the coaching and consulting to get you beyond that you know, that, that healthcare issue that you're working through. So medication, um, management, MTM, I think it's medication therapy management. I don't even know. And I'm embarrassed to say it out loud, but so for somebody who has HIV and they have multiple medications, how are they interacting with each other? And how is that impacting your ability to manage day to day? So there are a lot of, um, sub subgenres is the the wrong word but um there are a lot of offerings besides just dispensing that pharmacists can provide to the community and it's purely just a matter of getting that word out to to the consumer i mean it, it seems so paradoxical that we're we're debating over access to care and 
determinants of health and inequities, when in fact the, the independent pharmacists are probably the most desired, I say, asset in a sense to solve for some of these gaps because they're dealing with small batches of people. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's prime, prime, uh, it's a prime opportunity to one, um, personalize care. Right. And then we're not even talking about the pharmacogenomic onslaught that's, you know, right down the road. So how does medications and gene therapy impact the patient on, on such a deeply personal level, a cellular level? Like that's the pharmacists are the individuals who are primed and have an opportunity to serve it, um, to serve the patient on so many levels, um, smoking cessation, uh, flu shots. Let's, you know, get into test and treat. Um, in Virginia, there's a bill to have pharmacists to get the access to test and treat things like strep throat UTIs that you would normally have to go to a primary care provider or urgent care to get that addressed. How easy would it be to be able to walk to your, or, you know, drive to your independent pharmacy not have to wait in line. The person already knows what prescriptions you have, what are the poten potential interactions, and they, you can get it in one fell swoop and then pick up toilet paper on your way out the door. I mean, this might be an entirely different show. And, and you know, tell me if you're a, an SME about this. That acronym, that's a subject matter expert. I hate acronym buttons here on the show. But <laughs> the American Medical Association takes umbrage with pharmacists having those uh, those skills or the, the capacity to do that. I know there was some strife around giving vaccinations during the pandemic, right? Yeah, so there was. And and I think it's, um, I, I'm not an SME, but from my perspective, I, the, the, the winning ticket for pharmacists and pharmacy owners is going to be around building the collaborative uh, practice agreements and the collaborative relationships with practitioners and providers. So another example are OTC hearing aids. You can buy an over-the-counter hearing aid at Best Buy, but if the pharmacists and independent pharmacies start to build these relationships with audiologists, there's a line in the sand and then it becomes a referral relationship. Mm -hmm. So it, it it's bringing the the offering into the healthcare world and working with the providers and the practitioners to have that ecosystem. And it's not about working against them and getting as much practice scope as we can in order to bolster, you know, our offering. It's about the comprehensive care of the patient. And the best way to do that is to have an ecosystem and a clinical team that includes the pharmacist. Wrapping up, I want to let you know that I, while I live in Brooklyn, which is Brooklyn, I live in an area of Brooklyn called Brighton Beach, which is this quasi-ungentrified, old-school, little Odessa, Russian mom-and-pop universe underneath an L train with Neil Simon. Uh, <laughs> that pretty much describes the area. We have one uh, we, we have one Dwayne Reed and all of the pharmacies, all of them are these mom and pop old school Russian pharmacies and everyone goes to them because it's the culture of the people mm -hmm. who live in that community. And, you, you, you know, you go to the Walgreens and you see all the young people there. Yeah. But you go to the mom and pop pharmacist because the culture and the trust is there. Do you see that where you live or have you experienced that yourself? So I seek it out. 
I, I mean, having been in the industry now, I look for them everywhere I go. My pharmacy is an independent pharmacy in Richmond, Virginia, Brimo Pharmacy. I go to them for everything. Every opportunity I get to showcase a pharmacy that I know about, that I have a personal relationship with, I, I do. And so I actually have a client in Brooklyn, 13th Avenue Pharmacy, that I'm working with um, as a consultant. I mean, I seek it out. And once you start to look around, you see them everywhere. And um, yeah. So I, does that answer your question? I think I lost track. No, that, that's perfectly fine. I lose track all the time. And I know <laughs> I had brain cancer. So I don't know what your excuse is, but we're good. <laughs> all right. Marie Wilda. Oh, my God. I'm just going to reinforce this. You are a true champion for independent pharmacies. The topic today, the commoditization of pharmacy and community pharmacy is a catalyst for change. Folks. Go to your local pharmacist if you can. Marie, thank you for your service and and good luck fly fishing with your boyfriend. <laughs> thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on. This was um this was really exciting. Awesome. Thank well, you. Take care of yourself and everyone. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Out of Patience with Matthew Zachary is an off-script health production. The executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Andrew McDowell. It's mixed and edited by Kyle Moore. If you like the show, ratings and reviews are always welcome. Leave us a message anytime at 855-AUDIO-66. That's 855-AUDIO-66 to share your healthcare shitness with us. And we might just play them on the air on a future episode. For more information about this show and Offscript Health, visit offscript.com. That's offscript, no T, dot com.